Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. It's May 2nd, 2018, and you're listening to Julio Gonzalez for Congress, the podcast. And if you like what you hear, come visit us at juliogonzalezforcongress.com, where you can sign up for our emails, check out our events, and even contribute to our campaign. You can follow me on Twitter at Julio for Florida, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Facebook. It's Julio Gonzalez for Congress. So today I'm going to be speaking about the Second Amendment. It is an incredibly important amendment to the Constitution, and it is the single most often attacked amendment by the left in modern political history. And I don't think there's any coincidence to that. I think that is a very purposeful attack with a very significant reason that we'll cover later. But I think the first thing we need to cover is why why the Second Amendment is so important. What makes the Second Amendment such a quintessentially important portion of our Constitution? And the answer to that question is very simple. And it goes way beyond gun rights and it goes way beyond AR-15s and semi-automatics and all this ridiculous noise that the left is injecting into the public discourse. The Second Amendment, in short, is so important because without a Second Amendment, there will not be a First Amendment. And let's recall, the First Amendment is that amendment to the Constitution which enshrines that immutable, uninterruptible relationship that we have, each of us has as an individual, each of us has with God, with the Creator. And from that immutable and uninterruptible relationship, we get these inalienable rights that Thomas Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. And what are these rights? Well, among other things, these rights include the right to speak freely, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of the press, the freedom to think the things that you on your on your own arrive at, the conclusions that you arrive at as you seek the truth and as you seek knowledge about life. It really talks about the ability for you to pursue, you, pursue your dreams, your passions, and your aspirations. And what is the central most part of that First Amendment? Your freedom to worship, your freedom to Acknowledge that you were placed on this earth by a creator for a certain purpose, and that purpose drives you to do something, whether it be whether it be to create widgets, to groom dogs, to grow sheep, to raise your children, to be a pastor, to be a doctor, whatever that that calling may be, you you as a as a human being enshrouded with with all the dignities that go with it, with all the the gifts that were given to you by God, you have, you ought to have that well-respected right to pursue it and to and to pursue your hopes and dreams and to better better your family and better yourself. That essentially is what America is all about. That's what it was built on. But here's the harsh reality even though those concepts are indisputable. I mean, there's no question that, 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 that it is true that we have that direct relationship with God. Every once in a while, under terrible conditions, it becomes necessary to defend them. And when you have to defend them, 
oftentimes you're going to need a weapon. And that weapon may be a gun, maybe a rifle, maybe a semi-automatic weapon. And make no mistake about it, though that ability to access those weapons for your defense and for the defense of your country against tyranny is, is an indispensable part of what the Constitution was designed to do and is an indispensable part of what the framers and the founders believed our country was all about. And in order to get confirmation that this is true, in order to confirm that the framers were actually considering that, you need not look any further than the Federalist Papers. Now, remember, the Federalist Papers were written by Madison and Hamilton and Jay, and they were essentially used to describe what the Constitution was all about. As a matter of fact, Thomas Jefferson wrote after the papers were published that there had been no greater explanation and treatise on the Constitution than the Federalist Papers. And in particular, there's Federalist Paper number 46, or the Federalist number 46, as it is sometimes called. And it is, it was described, it was written by James Madison. And it has a lot to do with the Second Amendment. Although at the time, the Second Amendment had not yet, yet been written because the Constitution had not yet been ratified. And remember that the Second Amendment was amended to the Constitution by the first uh, Congress. But even then, Madison was already aware of the importance of, of arming the people, of having a well-armed citizenry. And in it, he talks about the tendencies for government to grow in its power and the, and the fear that people had that maybe this federal government, particularly if we gave this federal government the ability to have a standing army, particularly in that regard, how it would overwhelm the states and overwhelm the people. And I, he thought, look, this is very un, unlikely to happen. It's very unlikely to happen that the people would ever vote in a bunch of, of folks that would somehow be able to coordinate their zeal for power and run over the states and, and set up essentially a dictatorship, even though he didn't use that word. But in history, I think what we have found that even though the national government may not be the one to do it. We have found in other countries that, yeah, all it takes is one despot to do it, i.e. Hitler, Fidel Castro in Cuba. The list goes on and on and on of, of examples of situations where individuals have, have become extremely powerful through ver whatever accidents there may be and whatever advantages they may have had but here's the bottom line. In every one of those situations, one of the first things that they did was take the guns away from the oppressed or the targets of the oppression. And so whether whether James Madison nailed it on the head with the well with the uh, standing army or whether it's some other way through which power grows and corrupts absolutely and somebody gains the advantage to the point where he can overrun the citizenry, there is no question that a strong and robust Second Amendment to the Constitution serves as the final check to that tendency of selfish gain of power and authority to the to the detriment of your rights and your liberty. So look, whether you're whether you're arguing for sport, whether you're arguing for your ability to defend yourself against a bad guy who happens to be bigger than you and is entering your home 
Or even if that bad guy is approaching you menacingly and threateningly and about to give you, uh, in part, great bodily harm upon you in a public area, or whether we're talking about the oppressive nature of government, regardless, there's no question that the Second Amendment is an indispensable part of that defense. And for that reason, anybody who legislates, and certainly if I were to legislate in the in the Congress, there would be no doubt that such a legislator would have to defend that Second Amendment to the Constitution because upon it rests the future of the country. So that being the case, I guess we the best... The next best thing is to look at what the efforts of the left are regarding regarding the Second Amendment to the Constitution and our ability to own weapons and keep and bear arms. Well, their efforts are very simple and very consistent with all the other efforts that they've done through the progressive movement. What they do is they take a touchy-feely situation, a tragedy, some sort of crisis like Saul Alinsky spoke about, and they fashion a problem, they fashion, they fashion a solution, they fashion a solution that just so overwhelms what is necessary to solve the problem that essentially what they do is they overrun your liberties and take away that which was used to be rightfully yours. What happened in, in Parkland, which by the way, for those of you who may not be in Florida, it was that, uh, that shooting that took place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School where a deranged, monstrous, evil young man took a weapon, a semi-automatic weapon, and took it to a high school and began just massacring uh, kids. What happened in Parkland was a terrible, terrible tragedy. But here's the here's the the truth and the truth that that the left doesn't want you to hear. Every system, every part of government failed in the Parkland shootings. The school board failed to identify a kid with problems. The health system failed to treat a, a kid with problems. The sh- police department was given multiple multiple um, clues that this kid was having problems. They failed to act. The FBI was given. Um, a heads up that this was about to go down. They didn't pass the information over to local authorities. The school resource officer who was planted at the school for the for this very very uh, event and was armed, he did not go in. He watched for over three minutes. I hear the deputies that responded to the, to the call stayed waiting for orders outside of the school while the shooting continued inside and decimation continued inside. And from that, the left decides that the solution is going to be to take away the purchasing rights of rifles, of rifles, not even handguns, of rifles, of 18 to 21-year-olds impose a a mandatory three-day waiting period and so on and so forth. The fact of the matter is that none of these interventions that were that were crafted by the legislature and for and against which I voted, against which I voted, none of these are going to solve or address or even in any way alleviate this problem. 
Now, there were some great suggestions on the part of the legislature regarding hardening of the targets and uh, funding for mental health and all those things I'm incredibly in favor. Because, yes, those are defendable defendable solutions based on the pattern, the fact pattern that was given to us. But to say that somehow to take away the rights of 18 to 21-year-olds to purchase a gun, even though you're going to allow them to possess it, they can possess, but they can't purchase it. How they're going to do that sounds pretty wishy-washy to me. But nevertheless, to argue that somehow to take away the ability of an 18 to 21-year-old, who, by the way, may be a single mom living in a less than a wealthy area of town with less than the greatest of security, and tell her that she can't purchase a weapon because she's only because she's 19 years of age, and leave her, leave her at the mercy of her attacker who's going to intrude into her home, is in my mind absolutely ludicrous, particularly when you decide, when you realize that the culprits here was government itself. So in other words, government decides that it failed and the solution is to take away people's rights. This is typical of the left and typical of the progressive movement, and I wouldn't fall for it, and I'm not going to fall for it when I'm Congress. Here's some facts. Over 50% of the murders occur in the United States occur in 2% of the nation's 3,142 counties. 54% of communities have of counties have no murders. And for that, we're going to take away your rights to keep and bear arms. When they tell you the statistics about gun deaths, bear in mind that most of them are suicides. And because people are committing suicides, we're going to take away your rights to keep and bear arms. Most gun-related crimes are carried out with illegally owned firearms. With illegally owned firearms. So because... Most of the gun, uh, of the gun-related crimes, are carried out with illegally owned firearms. We're going to intrude on your abilities to legally keep a gun, if that makes sense to you. More people are stabbed to death than murdered with rifles. Yet we're going to regulate uh, the ability of 18, 21 year olds to buy rifles. More people are bludgeoned to death with a blunt object than are murdered with a rifle. But we're going to go ahead and regulate your ability to purchase a rifle in the United States. Israel has a much higher gun ownership rate than the United States. Yet, gun violence in Israel is much lower than that in the United States. Okay, okay, I hear it from the left all the time. They say to you, well, it's because Israel has a common enemy. Israel has a common enemy, and everybody's carrying the guns to defend themselves against a common enemy. By the way, by the way, have you guys seen the picture, the pictures of schoolgirls going to school in Israel with AR-15? And guess what? Somehow, inc incredibly, they, they engage in their school activities in a peaceful manner and nobody gets bludgeoned, except by terrorists. But I digress. The argument, let's get back to the argument. The argument is that Israel, that Israel's weapons are an exception because Israel, yeah, has a high, high, um, possession rate but people possess weapons because they have a common enemy that being you know palestinian and arabs that are that are uh engaging in uh hostilities against israeli citizens all right well then how do you explain switzerland i mean 
Switzerland is one of the most peaceful countries in the world and their ownership rate is almost at 100%. Oh, okay, I get it. Wait, uh, the guns in Switzerland are owned by the government. All right. Yeah, but they're carried by the people. They're carried by the people. It really doesn't matter who owns them. They're carried in the United States. They're carried by people who don't own them and they're the ones who commit all the crimes. So explain that to me, leftist. So look, it, it doesn't make sense. This the 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 attacks and the solutions, the attacks being furthered upon the Second Amendment to the Constitution, do not make sense, and they're not based on fact. And the solutions are definitely not based on logically um, on logical solutions. So why do they do this? Well, this goes back to that first comment that I kind of, kind of thought, told you I would, I would talk about it later, and that is the left's disdain for, for gun ownership. Why does the left have such a disdain for gun ownership and gun gun possession? Well, quite frankly, in my opinion, is because the gun ownership is that last check against government power and the left all it does is seek power so no you're not going to take my guns away you're not going to pass legislation if i can help it in any way that will intrude on people's liberties and people's abilities to own guns and and keep and bear arms i won't why because i firmly believe that these this one right is quintessential to the guarantee of the rest of them. And by the way, even if we take the, the rights and liberties argument out of the way, it's quintessential to your ability to defend yourself when it really counts in that three to five minute period when the police is making its way to you and that guy is about to kill you. So, look, you're going to hear a lot of things on this um on the campaign trail about the necessity to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States and specifically to protect the Second Amendment to the Constitution. There will be no greater advocate for the Second Amendment to the Constitution than me. And the reason why I can say that with full confidence is because I know that the Second Amendment to the Constitution is not one that is standing there in and of itself for its own gain. The Second Amendment of the Constitution is the greatest guarantee that we have to the remainder of our liberties guaranteed to us by the Constitution of the United States and in the Bill of Rights. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez, and I approve this message. And if you, if you like what you hear, come visit us at juliogonzalezforcongress.com. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.